some of the best stories that I've heard and you've heard and maybe that you've heard in a book or in a movie, but some of the best stories are about seeing true reality. Seeing true reality. Stories or books or movies like this suggest to you that things are not what they seem. There is more going on than meets the eye. Uh, Think of something like uh, The Matrix for you Gen Xers, or uh, the show Stranger Things, or for you kids, maybe uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, or even the Harry Potter series. In all of these stories, basically the premise is this, is that there is an alternative reality, an alternative world that runs parallel to our current world, our current existence. And somehow the protagonists or the heroes in the story are given access. They're given access to get into, to see that alternative world and what remains hidden to everyone else. They're able to enter into the unseen parallel reality that runs side by side with our own. And because of that, these characters have a fuller, more true perspective on reality. The reason I love these kind of stories is because they actually, I think, speak to a great spiritual truth that maybe the authors are not even aware that they are communicating, and that is that it is actually true that things are not what they seem. There actually is an unseen, yet very real, parallel reality to our own, and that truly there is more going on around us all the time than we can see. There is a fuller, deeper dimension to our existence. Remember, this is what apocalypse, apocalyptic literature, whether uh, in the Old Testament or whether in the book of Revelation, is meant to do. It is meant to unveil, to pull back the curtain on our existing reality and show us what is really going on. And this is what John wants to do. He wants to disrupt our everyday vision. He wants us to see in an upside down way our everyday viewing the world so that we can see reality from a different angle. We can see the world from a divine heavenly perspective. John insists there is more going on than you can see. Things are not what they seem. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is one that some of you may have heard before. It's a story about Elisha, uh, who is an Old Testament prophet. And um, he is being hunted down by the king of Assyria. And he and his servant are surrounded by the Syrian army. And his young servant uh, just starts freaking out. And this is the way the story goes uh, in 2 Kings 6. When the servant of Elisha rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Elijah said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elijah prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. Isn't that amazing? It's an apocalypse, 
an unveiling. Things are not what they seem. There is more going on than meets the eye. We, and we just simply need our eyes to be open to see what is really going on, to see true reality. And this is what is happening for John in Revelation chapter 4. His eyes are being open to see what is there, to see true reality, and he is inviting us to behold it with him. What does he see? Chapter 4, verse 1. After this, I looked... And there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet, that's Jesus, said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. Okay, so here's the scene. John is, you know, he's, he's, he's on the island of Patmos. He's a political prisoner. He's been in prison there for the preaching of the gospel. And he suddenly sees a door standing open in heaven, it says. Now, what is going on here? Well, what's going on is that John... Just like in those stories that we mentioned earlier, John is giving, given access to an unseen heavenly reality. He is given a window in to see what is going on behind the curtain, behind the scenes in everyday life. And so let's be clear on this. John is not, a, he's not being transported into another time. Uh, he's not a time traveler. He's not traveling into the future to see heaven as it will be one day. We are used to thinking about heaven as sort of the final stop or the final resting place, but that actually is not really a biblical understanding of what heaven is. Remember, we've said this in weeks past, we've said this, hopefully you've heard me preach long enough that you know this, that the, our final resting place is not heaven, it is a renewed heaven and earth. And so what heaven is, according to scripture, is actually simply the realm of God. It is a different dimension where God dwells, a different dimension of existing reality. So here is New Testament scholar N.T. Wright. This is a great quote. Listen to this. Heaven and earth are not, in biblical theology, separated by a great gulf, as they are in much popular imagination. Heaven, God's sphere of reality. That is a great definition of heaven. You can write that down. God's sphere of reality is right here, close beside us intersecting with our ordinary reality. It is not so much like a door opening high up in the sky far away. It is more like a door opening right in front of us, where before we could only see this room or this field or this street, suddenly there is an opening leading into a different world and an invitation to come up and see what's going on. Isn't that amazing? This is what's happening to John. He's not being given a vision of some future reality. He is being given an, a vision of ultimate reality as it is right now, right here. It's happening around us where you sit at this moment, only separating, separated from you by a thin veil. And he is inviting us to behold it with him. He, like Elisha, is praying on our behalf, Lord, open their eyes that they may see. And what happens if we see? What happens if we behold what John beholds? Well, I'm telling you, friends, everything would change. If we could see what is really going on in full reality right now, if our eyes could be open to see what is behind the curtain of everyday life, it would be so dramatically life-changing that your life would never be the same. We could no longer be bored. We could no longer be anxious could no longer be apathetic or afraid. You could no longer have the same priorities. We would see our lives in a totally new perspective, in a new expanded 
frame. Remember that question I asked you earlier before the scripture reading? What we're going to see today is that the most important thing happening in our lives right now, the most important thing happening in the world right now is not the pandemic, is not this election, uh, is not the protests or the counter protests or or the financial markets, or anything going on in our lives, the most important thing going on in the universe right now is what is happening in Revelation 4. So what is it? What do we see? Don't you want to see? Well, here's what we see. First, we see a throne. Chapter 4, verse 2, at once... I was in the spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven. So the first thing John sees through this open door of heaven is a throne. Now, just a quick word about these images. Of course, we're going to get into some crazy stuff today. Remember what we said a few weeks ago, that these images are not to be taken literally. John is writing poetically. He's writing with metaphor. He's writing with simile. That's why he uses all the words like like and as it were. Uh, Don't try to replicate this scene in your mind like a photorealistic image. It's more like an impressionistic painting in which each of the symbols is meant to display some deeper truth. He's using language of metaphor. And so what is this throne about? It's a symbol of power and sovereignty and majesty and kingly rule. John's communicating that there is a supreme headquarters. There is a control center, a control tower of the universe. There is an ultimate seat of power and authority. And he's saying that that is not some future reality where one day this will be the case, but there, it is a reality right now. There is a throne. There is a control center. It is every bit as real as the chair you are sitting in. It is this unshakable heavenly reality at the center of your life and at the center of the universe is a throne. We see a throne. Second... We see one seated on the throne. John just doesn't see an empty throne. It says he sees someone on it. It's not vacant. It's not up for grabs. It is occupied. The control center of the universe has someone in it. Who is it? Well, I mean, this, this, this is where John's imagination really starts getting stretched. You can tell he, he, he can't really describe it. He is only just hinting at things that defy description. So first he says, uh, the one, verse two, the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. <laughs> now, um, those, are, those are precious gems. Do you know what it looks like for a person to look like Jasper and Carnelian? No, I, I don't know. <laughs> um, no nobody, nobody quite does. He's, it's all, I mean... It, you know what? It reminds me of like a little, you know, like when a little kid gets really excited and they're just like looking and they're like looking for adjectives. They're like, and, it, and you know, and then, and then it was like this. And then, and then it was like, it, it, John's kind of like that. He's just grasping for words. He's just describing colors. He's just th- saying what he can think of because it is just mind bogglingly beyond his descriptive powers. And then in verse three, he says that around the throne was a rainbow. Okay, I get a rainbow. That had the appearance of an emerald. Huh? Uh, 
does he mean he sees a rainbow-colored emerald or a uh, green-colored rainbow? <laughs> I, I, I don't really know. I think he's just saying there is just this radiant uh, glory around the throne. And, of course, the rainbow is a reference to Genesis 9, when after destroying the world through a flood, God promised to never destroy the world again. So the rainbow here is a reminder to us that the one who sits on the throne rules with mercy and faithfulness. That his promise to, to goodness is never at odds with his power. His mercy and power are together. A rainbow. Verse 5, I'll come back to verse 4 in a moment. Verse 5, it says that from the throne come flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunders. This is, you double click on that, you'll go back to Exodus 19, when Moses encounters God on the, the terrifying presence of God on the mountain. God's throne is fizzing and flashing and pounding with power. And then in verse 6, it says in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass clear as crystal. Now, the, the, the sea throughout Scripture uh, is, is a symbol of chaos. See that in Genesis 1, where God brings the, the world out of the watery abyss and, 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 the, and the Red Sea and, the, and, and, the, and the, the turbulent waters that Jesus calms. And, and, and it represents almost always in the Bible what is turbulent and chaotic and evil in the world, which is why in the very end of the Bible in Revelation, it says when God creates, recreates heaven and earth, there will no longer be any sea. Chapter 21, verse 1. And so here we encounter the sea in the throne room of God, but look, it is still as glass. God is ruling over the sea so that it is completely calm, clear as crystal, sitting before him in silence, which tells us that even the evil and chaos and turbulence of the world has been rendered powerless and mute before the authority of the one on the throne. And so you can see John's senses are just overwhelmed. He's just overwhelmed with this symphony of sight and sound and shattering experiences of this encounter with the one who sits on the throne. He, he is beholding someone that it just boggles the mind. It was altogether awesome who was seated on the throne of the universe who rules with splendor and power and glory and love. And John is inviting us to see him, to see him too, to see the one who is glorious seated on the throne. I'll ask you again, what is the most important thing happening in your life, happening in the life of the world, whether you know it or not, whether you acknowledge it or not, whether you deny it or not, it is this, that there is a throne and there is one who is seated on it, who is beautiful and powerful and who rules in mercy and in love. He's seated on the throne. Now, before I move to the final point, I just want to make one application here. Remember a few weeks back how we talked about Revelation is not only an apocalypse, but a prophecy. Do you remember that class, chapter one? Uh, and we talked about the biblical definition of prophecy, that biblical prophecy is not so much prediction as declaration. It is declaring the truth about reality. Is John not say, saying, you might think the world is like this, but it is actually like this. John is doing this critique. He is he's critiquing the social and political world of the time and calling God's people to faithful resistance, especially to Caesar, who is claiming lordship. 
Now, this throne room scene is so fascinating. I was so fascinated digging into this this week because not only does this scene draw from Old Testament imagery, but it is also a parody of the political power of the, of the Roman Caesar, who was Domitian at the time. If you were a first century uh, Christian listening to this in Asia Minor at the time in the Roman Empire, you would have heard this and immediately thought of Caesar's court because Caesar also sat on a throne Caesar, interestingly, was also surrounded by 24 men, 24 bodyguards, flanked by priests who wore gold crowns. The Roman court was covered with images of animals and beasts as symbols of their power. And most strikingly of all, these words in verse 11 that we'll get to in a moment were the very words that Domitian required his citizens to proclaim when they entered his court. Worthy are you, our Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power. So you see what's going on here. John is seeing the true throne room of the universe where God reigns as king, and he is exposing the power of Rome and the rule of Caesar as impotent and fragile. He is exposing every human ruler, every person who claims total power as a feeble shadow, as one who was brought low before the one who rules, who rules heaven and earth. So this is a very important message for us, a very timely message for us right now as we enter into yet another highly contentious election cycle. We must remember, I just want to appeal to you, my dear brothers and sisters, we must remember that there is already one who is seated on the throne. And it is not Donald Trump. It is not Joe Biden. Uh, It is not an ideological system or a political party or a political movement. It is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And as we'll see next week, it is the lion of Judah, who is also the lamb, who gives himself for the sake of the world. This is the one, the triune God who sits on the throne, whose kingdom can never be shaken, never be threatened, not by Babylon or Rome or America or any earthly kingdom or any earthly ruler. You know, I've heard just in the last few months, I've heard people both on the left and the right talk as if this election will determine the course of world history and the destiny of the nations. And if you truly believe that, if you believe that the destiny of the nations is determined by an election of a human political ruler, then, of course, it is understandable why there is so much partisan division and deep polarization and even threats of violence. Friends, we have amplified politics to a truly salvific level. But here's the thing, when you see the throne... When you see the one seated on the throne, you see human political power for what it truly is. You see that the throne is not up for grabs. It is occupied by the one who holds heaven and earth. You see that the deepest problems of our lives cannot ultimately be solved by politics, but only by worship of the one who rules. I love what Michael Gorman says. He says, the worship of God is the heartbeat of the cosmos. Even when we humans on earth do not see it, or participate in it, or value it. Only God is worthy to receive what others, especially powerful political figures, may want or demand our total devotion, our praise, our crowns. Brothers and sisters, for those who follow Jesus, the slain lamb, we we should uh, responsibly participate in the political process. We should vote. We should uh, vote our conscience. We should weigh our choices. We should seek to be good citizens, but we never put our hope, our ultimate hopes in the political system. 
We never give to any earthly ruler what only God deserves. We recognize that all earthly powers are a parody of the true power and sovereignty of God. The throne is not up for grabs on November 3rd. Can you just breathe deeply? <laughs> that is very good news. All right, so recap, quick recap. What do we see when we look with John through the door of heaven? We see a throne. We see an occupied throne, an eternal throne with one upon it who rules over the chaos of the world. And one last thing we see. We see worship around the throne. Verse 6, in the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was <laughs> a lion, but not, li not like a lion. The second was an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a eagle in flight. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. So now, don't try to draw this. This will give you nightmares, right? It's freaky. There's a lot of hyperlinks here to Ezekiel 1, Daniel 7, Isaiah 6. What are these creatures? I don't know. Um, there's a lot of really funny ideas, interesting ideas about them. The most compelling, I believe, is that these creatures represent the whole of God's animate creation. The lion, the noblest of God's creatures, the ox, the strongest, the human, the wisest, and the eagle, the swiftest. They're covered with eyes, meaning that they see reality clearly. And what do they do with this clear clarity of, of reality? They are giving God praise and honor and glory. Verse 8, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Y'all, we don't even know what these things are. And they are worshiping 24-7. They are, they are the, the, communicating that every living creature in the animate universe, every living creature, the ones that we know about and the ones that we even don't know about. I'm not like doing a full-scale theology of extraterrestrials here, but what I'm saying is even the ones that we don't know about are doing what they were made to do, praising God and giving him glory. Their entire existence is worship. But they're not the only ones worshiping. We've also got the 24 elders who most likely represent the entirety of the people of God. The 12 tribes of Israel of the Old Testament, the 12 apostles of the New. They too are worshiping, verse 9. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, day and night, continuously, ongoingly, forever. They give God praise. They get up off their thrones. They cast down their crowns before him. They fall down, and, and they worship. Friends, this is what is behind the curtain. This is what is happening right now behind the door, right alongside us, happening continuously. If we only had the eyes to see everything, the totality of creation, every living being, the completeness of the universe, all of it giving glory and honor and praise and worship to the living God, to the one on the throne. What about you? How will you respond to this? What you see here in Revelation 4, John is inviting us into worship. The vision, this vision of worship is a call to worship. 
You know, every, every, every time we, we get up to, to, to worship God together like we're doing this morning and the, and the liturgist gets up for the call to worship, we are just simply being invited into an ongoing, eternal activity of worship that has been going on and will be going on forever. We are being called into the very meaning of creation, the purpose of existence. As the Westminster Catechism states, the chief end of humanity is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Worship is seeing the worthiness and the beauty and the glory of God and then giving God everything, surrendering all that we are and all that we have to him. Most of the time we live, at least I do this, if we are at the center of the universe and the center of our reality, we live as if life is a movie and I am the central character. But the true reality, as we see, is that we are not at the center. Even humanity is not at the center. God alone is at the center, and he alone is worthy of our praise. And worshiping him means getting up off our thrones, decentering ourselves, admitting we are not in control, falling down, surrendering, casting our crowns before him, which means taking all of our strength and our power and our glory and our achievements and all the things that we boast in, all the things that we glory in, and throwing them, surrendering them down before the one who alone is worthy of all praise, all honor, all glory and worship. This is what you were made for. This is the secret to life the secret to happiness, not to live for yourself, not to chase after your own little ambitions and dreams and plans, but to worship, to come back to the center of reality again and again, to the only one who is worthy of all devotion, honor, and praise. So how are you going to do that this week? How are you going to get up off your throne every day, take all that you have and all that you are, throw it down before the one in the throne, and join the worship of the praise of creation. It is radically decentering and challenging, but it is also profoundly comforting. Because I'll tell you, friends, almost all of our anxiety and discontentment and fear comes from putting something other than God on the throne, at the center of our lives. If we put ourselves at the center of our lives, trying to cling to the control that was never ours, and the only true antidote to all of our fears and all of our worries is worship. Because remember, John is writing to a group of people who are afraid, who are in stress, who are dealing with sickness and injustice and conflict and the threat of imprisonment and persecution and death. And many of them maybe are asking, why is this happening to us? Who is in charge? Is anyone in control? If God is so good and powerful, why do things feel so out of control? And maybe you've been asking that too. I know I have. And John doesn't give us an answer. He just gives us a vision. He gives us this vision of the one enthroned over the chaos of this world and the turbulence of our lives. And to see this one doesn't make the difficult stuff go away. The pain is real. The uncertainty is real. The injustice is real. The suffering is real. But to see God on the throne is to remind yourself of his centrality and his power to see that you are not in control. It's not your job to save the world, to save your family, or to save yourself. It's not your job to calm the raging sea because he rules, and he alone, he promises that he will bring good out of this terrible, painful, unjust, and heartbreaking world that we live in. 
He is on the throne. He loves the world. He loves you. And he stills the seas of chaos in your life and in the world. So this week, I want to invite you, my dear family, to practice seeing. Seeing. Things are not what they seem. There is more going on than meets the eye. There is a throne, there is one on the throne, and there is worship around the throne, and you are being invited in. I don't know if you've ever noticed before, but uh, the cross in our sanctuary is flanked uh, with a door. It's surrounded by a door. And I don't know what it represents. I wish I could talk to the architects and find out. Uh, it possibly from last week's message with Jesus standing at the door and knocking, but today, at least for me, it is a reminder for us to be invited to see the heavenly reality, to see what is most true. It's a reminder to continuously return to that open door that John saw in your imagination and to see the one seated there again and again. Do this when you wake up in the morning. Do it at lunchtime when you pause for lunch. Do it before you go to bed at night. Uh, This week, every week, I've been listening to an audio version of the Bible, Revelation chapter 4 and 5, every single day. Seeing this in my imagination, it has not changed my problems. It has not changed the challenges that I'm dealing with, but I tell you what it has done. It has changed my perspective because what we need more than anything else in our pride, in our anxiety, in our apathy, in our boredom, in our fear is a vision of the beauty of God. So that's your invitation. Would you see? Would you look? Would you behold? And would you worship? What's the most important thing happening right now in your life? And what's the most important thing happening right now in the world? It is this. It's what's happening here in Revelation 4. It is this song. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray that prayer that Elisha prayed. Open our eyes that we may see. Open our eyes that we may see. We know that we are so blind to true reality. We are so myopic. We are so... um, unable to see beyond the narrow walls of our current existence, that whether it's the problems in our own personal lives or the, the wars of our elective politics or the struggles and fears of our world, whatever it is, we are so unable to see what is true, that you are on the throne. Open our eyes, we pray. Blast a hole through our narrow vision. Give us a window to see what is most true. Help us return to this scene again and again in meditative prayer, in contemplation, in our imaginations. May we see you seated on the throne. May we say with that crowd of heaven, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We pray this in Jesus' name.